0: chapter forty three of black oxen by gertrude atherton this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by lynn thompson chapter forty three clavering stood on his high balcony and looked down upon madison square spring had come the square looked like an oasis in a rocky gorge the trees were covered with the tender greens of the new birth and even president arthur and roscoe conklin less green than in winter looked reconciled to their lot a few people were sunning themselves on the benches many more were on top of the buses over on fifth avenue and even the hurrying throngs preoccupied with crass business seemed to walk with a lighter step their heads up instead of sullenly defying winds and sleet the eight streets that surrounded or debouched into the square poured forth continuous streams of figures constantly augmented by throngs rising out of the earth itself there was a vivid color running like ribbons through the crowds for it was nearly nine o'clock and the doors of offices and shops and business houses were open to women as to men overhead a yellow sun shone in a pale filmy sky and the air was both warm and sharp the doves were circling and settling the prize-fighters had taken their prowess elsewhere and a circus had come to madison square garden clavering had heard the roar of lions in the night a far different crowd would stand under the arcade in a few hours but the peanut vendors would ply their trade and a little booth for candies and innocuous juices had been erected in an alcove in the front wall presided over by a plump pretty blonde she alternated jollying and selling with quiet intervals of beading a bag undisturbed either by ogling or the hideous noises of twenty-sixth street in spite of his disappointment two nights before he found it impossible to feel depressed in that gay spring sunshine he did not believe in the headache but she had written him a charming note and he supposed that a man must get accustomed to the caprices of women if he intended to live with one and a month from now they would be in the dolomites and she would be his let her have her caprices. He had his own. There were times when he didn't want to see her. Moreover, he was still too jubilant over his play to feel depressed for long over anything. The warm and constantly manifested enthusiasm of his friends had kept his spirits from suffering any natural reaction. Their demand for his companionship was almost peremptory, and his thoughts turned to them as he stood on his balcony looking down on the waning throngs the great stone buildings were humming like hives and figures were passing busily to and fro behind the open windows it astonished him a little true it was his first play and he was very popular but he had a vague uneasy idea they were overdoing it they talked of nothing else his play his brilliant future his sure place in the crack regiment if he hung on and they insisted that he must also express himself at least once through the medium of the novel the great new york novel had yet to be written they fairly dinned his gifts into his ears until he was almost sick of them and wondered if mary were not also she had seen a good deal of the sophisticate lately and from what she had let drop he inferred that even when he had not been present they had talked of little else they had by no means waited for his play to be finished, and read to a select few. Hogarth and Scores had assured them, long before it was finished, that it would be a great play. Once or twice there was a rustling in the back of his mind. They were not given to wild enthusiasms of this sort. They thought too highly of themselves. He realized how genuinely fond they were of him, but he had not hoped for more than critical appreciation. "'from the men, at least. "'Could it be possible?' "'But he was still in the first flush of his triumph, "'his brain hummed with pleasant memories "'of those hours at Gora Dwight's three nights ago. "'He had cleared the base of the pedestal, "'on whose narrow and unaccommodating top "'he was soon to have his foothold, "'and it was not in human nature, "'at this stage of his progress, "'to suspect the sincerity of the adulation "'so generously poured at his feet.' and mary during this past fortnight when he had been present at least had seemed to bask contentedly in reflected glory and seemed sympathetically while they talked of the many clavering first nights they would attend in the sure anticipation of that class of entertainment up to which the little theatres and the theatre guild were striving to educate the public they took it as a matter of course that he was to abide in the stimulating atmosphere of new york for the rest of his days and they invariably insisted that madame zattiany must always sit in a stage-box and be a part of the entertainment they were too well-bred and too astute to hint at the engagement they were positive existed but hoped she would be willing to add prestige of one who was now as much her friend as theirs it was a curious position in which to place a woman like mary zattiany but sophisticated New York was not diplomatic Europe, and he thought he saw her smile deepen into humour once or twice. No doubt she was reflecting that she had lived long enough to take people as she found them. His reverie was interrupted by a buzzing at the end of his hall, and he went to the door quickly, wondering who could have sent him a special delivery letter or a note at this hour. It proved to be a cablegram, he read it when he returned to his living room. It was dated Rome, Italy, and read, "'I'll have you yet, Janet.' Clavering swore, then laughed. He tore the message into strips and sat down to read the newspapers. He had merely glanced at the headlines and his column. His eye was arrested by the pictures of a man at the top of the first page of his own newspaper. Although smooth-shaven and very regular of feature, with no pronounced racial characteristics, it was nevertheless a foreign face, although difficult to place. From its distinction, it might be Austrian, but the name below, Prince Hohenhauer, might as easily be German. Still, it was not a German face, and Clavering studied it for a moment before reading the news text, wondering faintly at his interest it was unmistakably the face of a statesman and reminded him a little of a picture of prince schwarzenberg prime minister when franz joseph ascended the throne he had seen lately in a history of austria there was the same broad placidity of brow the long oval face the thin long slightly curved nose the heavy lids the slim erectness the same suave repose but this man's large, beautifully cut mouth was more firmly set, had a faintly satiric expression, and the eyes a powerful and penetrating gaze. It was the face of a man who was complete master of himself, and accustomed to the mastery of men. Clavering read the story under the headlines. Prince Hohenhauer arrives in New York, goes at once to Washington. Prince Hohenhauer, a distinguished political factor under the old Austrian Empire, arrived yesterday morning on the Noordam. He refused to be interviewed, but it is understood he has a large amount of money invested in the United States, and has come to New York at the request of his lawyers to attend to certain necessary formalities. He was, in fact, met at quarantine by Judge Trent, one of the most distinguished members of the New York Bar since his retirement from the bench and they went at once to the prince's stateroom and remained there until it was time to leave the ship it is significant however that the prince after engaging a suite at the ritz carlton and lunching there with judge trent took the afternoon train for washington as he recently left his estate in switzerland to return to vienna and accept a position in the cabinet and it is well known that austria desires the backing of the american government to enable her to overcome the opposition of france to her alliance with germany or it is whispered with a kingdom farther south it is not unreasonable to infer that he has come to the united states on a special if secret mission the prince was a subject of lively interest on the boat and of much speculation but he took his meals in his suite and walked the deck only in the company of his secretary he is a man of striking appearance quite six feet in height with a spare erect figure and fine features and hardly looks his sixty years in spite of his white hair then followed a brief biography which illustrated the efficiency of the newspaper morgue for the statesman's reputation was so far wholly european Prince Moritz Franz Ernst Felix von Hohenhauer was born October 6, 1862, on his ancestral estate in what was then known as Galicia. His mother was a princess of the house of Schwarzenberg. He has been the head of his own historic house for the last 40 years, and has one son and two daughters. His wife, a member of the Kalnocki family, died several years ago hohenhauer was one of those almost unbelievably vast estates of sixteen million acres possessed by a few of the austrian noblemen under the old regime in spite of the fact that prince hohenhauer was one of the greatest landlords in all christendom he was a liberal in politics from the first and the author of several of the reform laws in behalf of the people which from time to time were forced upon the most conservative monarch in europe he was in sympathy with the Revolution, and offered his services at once to the new government. They were declined, and he retired to Switzerland, where he has an estate near St. Moritz, and, it is understood, considerable money invested. His vast estates in what is now Poland were confiscated, but he was one of the wealthiest men in the empire, and is said to have transferred immense sums to the United States before the war clavering dropped the newspaper liberal in politics immense sums invested in the united states judge trent there could be no possible doubt as to who the man was the floor seemed unsteady for a moment and yet there was as little doubt that mary zattiany had long since ceased to care for him that was over fifteen or sixteen years ago they had known each other in later years both equally indifferent to the other and to the past yes but she had then completely lost the beauty and the charm that had enthralled him and he was still a man in his prime who with that appearance no doubt had other young and beautiful women in his life he may or may not have heard of the metamorphosis at all events they had been political allies he would call on her as a matter of course, and possibly out of more than politeness. He may have brought her an important message, or he might find it expedient to confer with her on his present mission. That he had come on an important mission did not admit of doubt, but at least he had not gone to her at once. His interest in her, so far, was still impersonal. Clavering had too much of the arrogance of youth and he was too sure of Mary Zattiany's love for himself to be apprehensive of the charms of a man of sixty, but he was invaded by a nameless and almost sickening fear. He had very swift and often very sure intuitions, and he was shaken by a premonition that in some manner, which, in his ignorance of the facts, he was unable to define, this man's presence in America boded no good to himself. "'But Clavering was also a man of swift decisions and resource, "'and he knew this was no time to lose his head, "'nor even to play a waiting game, "'and he must tread warily. "'Impulsive as he was by nature, "'he could be as wary as a red Indian "'when wariness would serve his purpose. "'He called up Mr. Dinwiddie on the telephone "'and asked if he might see him at once. "'It was only half-past nine and mr dinwiddie was just finishing his breakfast in bed but he told his favourite cordially to come along End of chapter forty three